With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.
right, welcome back to Heavy Metal Mayhem. Man, it's a smoking hot day here in New York. It's been like that all week. We've been topping out in the high 90s. So uh, I hope you're cool wherever you are. And we got a great show for you today. Brian Corbin from Heretic will be on with us in about 20 minutes or so. And during the second half of the show, coming back, Frank Gilchrist from Liege Lord and Virgin Steel. We had the guys on here a couple of months ago when they were just getting the band back together and rehearsing. And they've been out there for a while now. So we'll talk to Frank on what's going on with that. But we kicked off today's show with some Snow White with Rest in Peace. That comes off the last record the band put out. I want to say it was 1989 or 88, uh, Act of God with the song Rest in Peace. And uh, I remember seeing the picture of those guys. They, they were the Tafoya brothers. I mean, they were brothers, but they were just brothers from another mother. None of them were actually related, but they all kind of went to Ramon's way using the same last name. I believe it was Nikki, Sparks, and Ian. And uh, by the end of the band, only Ian Tafoya uh, was left with Nicole Lee, the singer. And even she was gone for a little while in between. Some girl named Sue came in, and then she left again. And Debbie Gunn from Central Beast kind of took over the vocals. And I was dying to hear something with her on there, but uh, they broke up after that. So they're no longer together. Actually, Ian Tafoya, whose real name is Greg Fulton, you know, he was in Cyclone Tempo. And he had another band going with Doug Pinnock and, uh, and uh, Rick Scatori. And a few other guys, Jimmy Hazel from 24-7 Spies called the Anti-Nigger League or something, or Anti-Nigger Defamation League. I can't remember the name of the band, but they were on here. They were a great bunch of guys to talk to, but nothing ever came of that project. They kind of just fell by the wayside over there. All right, well, let me see. I'm running alone today. Tommy is uh, away for the 4th of July weekend. And in about an hour, we'll have Mr. Ken Pierce from Pearson Metal letting us know about what's going on. For the concerts in New York and any other little news that he's able to dig up over the last seven days for you guys. So let's keep the music flowing before the first interview starts. How about we give you a little uh, anger is art? They all fall down.
Okay, Rex and Fairy with Flight to the Sky. Those guys uh, have been around, I mean, not together anymore, but they started around 79. They kind of played on and off throughout the late, uh, till, up until the late 90s. And uh, they were also, I don't know if it was at the same time or in between they were doing Rex, they were also a band called Zephyr or Zephyr. Uh, they were all about the same time, and it seems like when one band wasn't playing, the other one was, and it was most of the same guys in the two bands. I really don't remember. Sometimes I could barely remember yesterday, never mind 1979. They were a really cool band, so definitely go and check them out. All right, well, I know Kenny gives us all the constant information for the New York City area when he calls in, but there are two shows Kenny will mention because they've been kept top secret up until now. And I'm going to let you know about them. Uh, July 26th, Steel Fortune, great band that featured Dave the Snake Sabo and Matt Fallon, who went on to form Skid Row afterwards. They were a staple in the New York City club scene back in the 80s. They are doing a reunion show on uh, July 26th over at Buddy's Tavern in Sayville, New Jersey. And I believe it's a charity show and they're going to be raising money. They had gotten back together, I believe, last year for the same type of thing. They raised money, I guess, around the time we had the storm. Uh, to help out some people. I don't know who was on vocals at the time, but this time around, Steve Michaels from Death Mass is going to be fronting the band. It's going to be a great show, a great cause, you know, to raise the money for something. I don't know what it is yet, but they're going to announce this probably next week, but I'm giving you a little heads up on it. So I know I will definitely be at that gig. I'm dying to meet Steve. I haven't seen those guys since the 80s, so I'm looking forward to that. Also, another show coming up. I believe it's at the end of August, maybe the beginning of September. It'll be announced soon. I don't know if you remember the band called The Beast from New Jersey. They were a great band. They had a split EP out and a couple of demo tapes. Well, they have gotten back together. The original guys have reunited. They're rehearsing right now. Uh, I spoke with the guitar player last week. They were supposed to be on the show in July. We just haven't been able to nail down a date. So maybe it's better off that they come on in August. It'll be closer to the show and we can help promote it. The show ha hasn't been announced yet, the exact place, but it's going to take place, I believe, uh, the last week of uh, August, first week of September. So when we get more about that, I will let you know. But those are two shows and two bands. I definitely, you know, I haven't seen them since the 80s, so I'm looking forward to it. All right, right now, this is a band called Night Demon. I just came across them a few weeks ago. They're a relatively new band. They were formed, I think, in 2011, and they just put out their first EP. And you talk about a band that really channeled like the classic 80 roots. These guys have definitely done that with this album, man. Some of it reminds me a little bit of the new wave of British heavy metal scene, especially Angel Witch. But these guys are great, and they sound phenomenal. I am definitely going to reach out to them and see if I can get them on the show in August. So here's a song called The Chalice.
All right, Hellhammer with Massacre, as they like to say, Massacre. I remember Metal Forces, they tore that band apart when that EP came out. And uh, Tom Warrior wouldn't talk to the magazine for years. It was like the second Celtic Frost record uh, was released, where it kind of like gave him favorable reviews, and uh, and he came, kind of came around to them. But back then, you know, Metal Forces was kind of the only magazine to really promote the underground metal bands and stuff that was going on in metal back in the day. You know, was, these were the pre-internet days. But right now, our guest is on the line. Let's welcome Mr. Brian Corbin from Heretic. Brian, how are you, my bud? I'm doing great, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to have you on here today. I really appreciate it. Great, great uh, and, the word out there. Uh, you know, we, that's what we do around here. At least we try to. But the word is, is that uh, you guys got like a brand new box set out, and that's kind of a big deal from the vault, tortured and broken. How, how did this all come about, putting this together with Metal Blade? Uh, well, you know, it was something we've been thinking about doing since uh, we, we had, uh, you know. Oh, I think we lost Brian there. Brian, I don't know if you can hear me. I know we can't hear you. Uh, it looks like we lost Brian there. Hey, anybody out there in the chat, can you hear me talking at least, or did we just lose Brian? Yeah, we lost Brian. Okay, he must have been calling from his cell phone. I'll right, give him a few more minutes to call back in, see what happened over there. Cell phones are very unpredictable, you know. Sometimes they work right, sometimes they don't. I know mine doesn't work. <laughs> I live in the neighborhood. I pay all the money for that service, and it doesn't even work. So we'll give Brian a couple more minutes to call in. If he doesn't, I think I have his number down here, so I'll give him a call. Maybe it'd be better if I call him. Might have a better connection there. Let's see. You know what? Let's give him a call. I think we might be better off. So let's put this number in here. I do apologize, everybody, but unfortunately, whether you're on regular radio or the Internet, these things happen. Let's see here. I don't want to say the number out over there. All right. There we go. Brian, it's Mike. Hi. Yeah, I think we lost the reception there. No, it's all right. <laughs> you know, technology is unbelievable. As far as we think we've come, sometimes a paper cup and a string works best. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, we were talking about the new uh, the new box set, about how to, how to come about with you guys in Metal Blade, and then we lost each other. So what happened? Okay, yeah. Um, we had talk, we, uh, When we got the band back together, that was one of the first things we thought about doing was reintroducing everyone to the older material because, you know, it was really kind of just out of print. You you could find maybe one or two on eBay. So we thought, hey, someone could, you know, put the two records. We had an EP and we had an LP. If we could put those bastards together, um, you know, just spread the word back out. So we, we started looking into it. We contacted Metal Blade about a year ago. And, uh, you know, we, we just kind of dropped the idea. We thought, oh, okay, you know, we, we, have, we, we made a new album, A Time of Crisis. And uh, Metal Blade, I guess, saw saw that we had something out and really came, reached out to us and contacted us and asked if we had any uh, uh, any bonus material, any live footage or anything, and maybe we could do a box set. So we dug around and found uh, some old shows on VHS, you know, 
uh, old shows from out here in 85, and there was another one from 87. So we were able to put together a, um, a pretty good box set. We were re-releasing uh, our Torture Knows No Boundary EP along with the Breaking Point LP, and then we added uh, a DVD with a lot of uh, footage of, of songs uh, that were never even released. There's about 10 songs that I'd forgotten about. <laughs> wow. So it was kind of neat seeing, yeah, it was pretty neat seeing the, seeing the footage after all those years. You know, this just came out, so a lot of people don't have it yet, but they should definitely go out and pick it up, especially if they were able to get a time of crisis. I mean, I go back with you guys from the very beginning, you know, and the Torture No Known Boundary EP, and, you know, I know you had a little change in lineup for Breaking Point, and you guys kind of disappeared after that. But when you decided to get back together a couple of years ago, the, I mean, you know, the Internet's been been around for a while, but did you notice over the last few years before you got back together that there was interest, like on MySpace and Facebook and people talking about the band, or did you kind of think, yeah, everybody kind of forgot about us from, you know, back in the 80s? Uh, we lost Brian again. I tell you, we're not having any luck today, huh? I think AT&T is gunning for us over here <laughs> on Verizon. Somebody doesn't want us to do this interview. I don't know what's going on. I have no clue. You know what? While we wait for Brian to call in, how about we get on a tune? I don't want to play any Heretic right now until uh, we finish talking to Brian. But uh, I hate to play a song at all because if he calls in, we might lose him again. But let me try. You know what? I'll try calling Brian one more time. Hang on. You have reached the voicemail box of... No, that's not good. All right. You know what? Let's get on. Uh... Oh, here we go. We got Brian again. Hey, we're not having any luck here today. I think that a guy Florida must be uh, tapping these lines or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's sunny and bright. There's no clouds blocking the way. (laughs) Oh, God. That's that's okay. But um, what the hell was I saying? We were talking about a time of crisis. I mean, right before it came out, did you realize that there was this interest in the band starting up all over again? You know, from checking out, like, the website and, you know, the social media pages? No, you know what it was? It, um, I, my good friends Glenn and, uh, Rogers and Angelo Espino were playing in a band called Hyrax. And, you know, I'm seeing pictures of them playing in front of 20,000 people in Europe. And and he had been telling me for years, he goes, you know, I've been playing over here, and there, you could get Heretic back together. People would be interested in, in doing it. You know, I had been out of the music scene for a while, about, you know, six, seven years. I really wasn't interested in playing. I just kind of... I was always writing songs, but I wasn't into being in a band anymore. I did it for so many years. and But i got to say, seeing pictures of them playing in front of those crowds really put a spark into my butt. So when uh, singer Julian Mendez came to me saying, hey, do you want to get together and maybe play some shows? That's all it took, and I was I was all in from that point on. Well, I'm glad you decided to do it. I mean, when you were thinking about it, was it when Julian contacted you also, or did you maybe think about putting it together before then and – was Julian like the first choice to come back, being on the EP, or were you thinking about Mike Howe or, or somebody else singing with the band? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's always, I've always stayed close with Julian. Um, he was in other bands. I would I would support whatever he was doing. Um, with Mike Howe, I, I really lost touch after he when he left to join Metal Church. He moved up north, and as far as I know now, he's not even in the business anymore. I think he's he's doing something else. So um, with Julian, yeah, he's he's such a good friend. He's always been a great front man. Um, I really wouldn't have tried to get just a regular metal band together just to start as an old man. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm going to go yeah. try to rock. I thought, <laughs> you know, getting getting Heretic back, getting an original vocalist, and that sounded inter- interesting to me. 
and I've got a bunch of musician friends that I've played with in other bands, and Angelo was in Reverend. I've I've known Glenn since I was you know in junior high, so it was it was a no brainer. Once once everything started rolling, I I started writing right away, and the first thing that came out of me was the time of crisis. I really wrote it really fast, so it, it was meant to be. You know, my wife was saying, "Yeah, you need to go play it. You need to get out, get in the band." Well, I am. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's important. Well, you know, the album is the album is definitely phenomenal. It was like a dream come true seeing you guys in Brooklyn. You know, when you came over here a couple of months ago. I, I, oh, we had a blast. Actually, a dream come true would be having a twelve inch cock. That'd be my wife's dream come true. But I'll take you guys coming to Brooklyn. That's good enough for me. Oh yeah, we 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 loved it, man. That was a great turnout and a great set of bands playing Attacker and Viking and uh, Hellstar. It was just a really fun show and great club. St. Vitus Bar was a really really cool place to play. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool little joint. You know, I mean, you know, you guys never made it here during the 80s, so for me to see you guys playing live, and man, when you guys hit the stage, I was like, holy shit, man, these guys are tearing it up like a bunch of 19-year-olds. I mean, you would never <laughs> think that all those years had lasted between, like, you know, you guys playing together, and, you know, it, it was just a, it was just an amazing night. I mean, I couldn't believe the intensity. I mean, do you guys see off and more when the crowd is like, because the crowd was crazy that night? Oh, yeah, it, it helps, you know. Uh, well, we're, we we work at our show. We we try to have fun, and even if there's three people in the crowd, I want to give them that that three people. I want them to leave going, "Wow, Heretic's a great band." But when you have a great crowd, it really does help. You know, <laughs> you feed off of them, they feed off of you, and it, and it, and it was it was wonderful seeing all the support. Everybody had their, you know, uh, the vinyls out in the crowd holding them up, and it, yeah. it was really special because that was the one thing we wanted to do. We were supposed to. Uh, head out with Hellstar on a tour right as we, right as Mike Howe left the band to join Metal Church. So we were just headed to the East Coast. I mean, we were talking, making plans for some kind of tour, and just got cut short. So it was it was bittersweet. It was nice to to finally get there. And now we're finally going to get to go to Europe too. And in uh, end of July here, we're going to be headed to Germany and get Heretic over there for the first time as well. But we'll be, be back. We'll, we'll defi- definitely be back to the East Coast for sure. Ah, uh, man, I, I hope so. Well, you know, you talk about Mike Howe, you know, leaving the band at that time because he joined Metal Church, but not long after that, you kind of hooked up with Dave and Wayne, and you got Reverend going, and that was another great band that put out a few <laughs> good records, and they kind of, like, broke up after a few years. Yeah, it's, uh, it was basically Heretic with David Wayne. <laughs> yeah, The first EP yeah. was, was really, it was a Heretic record. Those were songs I had written for Heretic, so... Um, it was an odd swap for David. He he just refused. He said, I won't be Mike Howe's replacement in, in Heretic. And so for us, it was kind of a, all roads were leading to David Wayne. We were we searched for a singer for a short period of time in L.A. and uh, did some auditioning. But, you know, with Dave had a bit of a name for himself, and we, we had people whispering in our ears, it's probably the best move we should make. And it probably was at the time. And so we just left the heretic name behind at that point. We just said, oh, well, rather than uh, worry about it, we'll just let it die here and form Reverend and had some good years with them. Yeah. Was it hard to do that, like to kind of like put the name behind you? Because it's sort of like your baby where you put everything into it and, you know, you know yeah. what you want. Yeah, it, it, was my, it was my name from the beginning. So, yeah, I, it, probably the hardest for me, everyone else, um, you know, you have it ten years invested of your life in it, but for me, it was probably the hardest because it was I, I designed the logo, I came up with the name, and I'm the main songwriter in the early years. So, 
yeah, it was tough, but I was also looking forward to my future. You know, as, as a, a musician and a songwriter, I I was just moving ahead, you know, and uh, got a, got a lot out of Reverend. We we made some yeah. some good albums, and I got to tour out of it, and it was it was a good time. You know, when you're young and you know, especially like in the early '80s when this is all starting to come out over here for the first time in the U.S., all these bands were hearing, you know, what was going on in England, and we were kind of taking it to the next level here, and the scene was still on the ground; it hadn't broke yet. And you get to these bands, or your former band, or your starter band, and you think that you're going to be the next big thing. You think that this is it. You, you know, you're going to make this your career, your life, because you see it on the rise. And then the rug gets pulled off from under you, whether it's bad management, band members can't get along, or the '90s come around one or the other because things were rough back yeah. then. I, I mean, did you kind of have that feeling with Heretic when it started? I mean, like the dreams that you had for the band back then compared to, say, what you have for them now in, you know, 2013. What's the difference? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we take you take it too serious. You just assume, why we're, you know, I'm a great songwriter. We're the best band in the world. I'm sure every band thinks it, you know, and you're going to take over the world. And um, now, you know, it's funny when you really don't care and you're having fun, that's when good things happen. I think sometimes bands try too hard, and when we were younger, we were probably just trying too hard, you know. You get disappointed over the silliest things, and now we're just some guys having fun. We, I get to go out and rehearse three, four nights a week and then go play shows. That's fun now. It's all gravy, and there's no expectations, and now everything's just starting to fall in place for us like it, like it was meant to be, so... It, I'm enjoying it a lot more now. As you know, not that I didn't when I was younger, but I can say that I'm more conscious of my time with the band now than I was when I was younger. You, like you said, you're just kind of assuming you're going to be great, and you know we're going to sell a million records. And when it doesn't happen, boy, you know what a letdown. Now, hey, if we sell a thousand, I'm I'm stoked. That's a thousand people that get to hear my music. So. That's hey, true. It is a different, it's a different world when you're older, I guess. And I, I'm really glad I, I've got this great group of band members, and uh, everything is just couldn't couldn't work out better right now. You know, you can hear it in a time of crisis. You can hear that. You know, I mean, it sounds crazy, but if you're a fan of the band and the music, I you can hear the. I mean, you know, it's heretic, but you can hear the difference. You could tell that the album was put together, like you know, just out of pure out of pure enjoyment that you guys had this this music. You threw it together, and it came out phenomenal. I think, like you said, because you wrote it so quickly, I think sometimes that's the best way because, I mean, you could tell in, in the sound. You could tell when a band has been in the studio for months or years working on something, and it's just been tried. And you could tell when it has, like, that fresh ass-kicking sound, and that's what a time of crisis kind of has. Yeah, you can definitely overthink yourself in the studio. You know, you, your first take, I always thought, your first take is probably usually your best, you know, unless you're a singer and you need to warm up. First take, you're there, you're ready, you're going to play, unless you make a, an error in recording. For the most part, it's usually your best take, especially with drummers, I've noticed. And that's kind of what we did. We had three weekends to make that whole album, so it's six days total. And everyone, we'd have three songs at a time that we had to finish in on two days. And everybody just powered through their parts, professional. We knew exactly what we were doing. It was probably the hardest for Julian. You know, with the vocals, he would have loved, you know, to really experiment a little bit more and maybe you know, fine-tune some of the things, but we were in a rush, and and, and it was a good thing, you know. It, it came out fast and spontaneous, and uh, probably the way we'll do the next record, you know. It worked out. John Haddad, the producer, is just phenomenal to work with anyway. He makes you feel so comfortable, and he's very supportive, and he no, doesn't rush you at all. He gives you good, positive suggestions on what you're doing. 
and it just helps you roll right through it. You know, and the songs we worked on as a band, I'll, I bring in a skeleton, I'll bring in verses and chorus and the song title, and, and the guys just fill in the meat all around it. Like the intros, Glenn Rogers is the riff master. He, he'll come in and, and metalize everything, you know, because he, he comes <laughs> from the thrash background with Angelo. I'm, I'm more of the straightforward, except kind of early days metal guy. Yeah. So it's, it's a perfect marriage of the two styles of metal, and uh, the writing process was was fast, but it, we, everybody got to include their parts. So it was really, really good. That is good. Well, like you were saying earlier, when you and Julian started talking about it, did you think about going back and trying to get Scott or Rick or Rick Halpin or Dennis, or did you just say, you know, it's the two of us and – we're going to look for different people. Because I think at the well, time, besides Hyrax, Glenn was also uh, working with Viking, I think, at that time. Yeah. Initially, uh, Dennis had had talked to me with Julian. So it was going to be uh, – Dennis was going to give it a try. And uh, Bobby Marquez, who was living in Texas at the time, you know, he still is, um, would still stay in touch with him. But, you know, it wasn't realistic for just getting the shows together. So uh, – um, and – with Rick Halpin, I'm not. I, I know he's fairly local, but I, I talked to him on Facebook. That's about it. Yeah. Wasn't sure if he was playing. Um, and uh, I guess Dennis had spoken with the original drummer Rick Merritt, you know, years before, and Rick really wasn't interested in playing at all at the time. So we just said, okay, well, let's get something going. And uh, I contacted Glenn to find out if I didn't even have an amp. <laughs> so I contacted him to see if he had any extra amps he'd want to sell. And he said, "You're getting Heretic back together." Well. What about me? You know, can I get an audition? You know, I said, yeah. well, you're the guy. You don't have to audition. You you got the gig. <laughs> you know, and we started from there. And and so uh, Dennis, unfortunately, he uh, I don't think he was ready to be in a band. He uh, he had uh, some personal issues, you know, and he he just had to deal with some demons here and there. And uh, yeah. So we uh, we had uh, Daniel Cordova was a bass player that Glenn knew filled in for. We had some shows booked, and he, he filled in great. Did did a wonderful job, but. Uh, we had opened for Bitch, and Angelo was playing bass with, with Anger's Art and Bitch at the time. Yeah. And we saw, um, he just said, you know, you're such a great bass player. You know, he said, well, wouldn't it be funny if we all started playing together again? I said, is that an audition, Angelo? You know, and, <laughs> and it just kind of took off from there. And, and he ended up, he was, I guess, in his head, planning on leaving Anger's Art anyway. So that's that's how we we formed everybody together. And, um Glenn had the timing was perfect. He had just left Hyrax, and he was, think, you know, going to work with Viking here and there. But that was a long distance thing, so it didn't really materialize for him right away. So he just said Heretic was what he was going to put all his efforts into, and lucky for me. <laughs> yeah, it worked out great. It's a solid band and a solid lineup. On the time of Crisis, record, I mean, I, I love the new version of uh, Heretic with Julian singing it. Uh, do you plan on doing anything like that on the next record, or were any of the songs on this record stuff that you were tinkering with back in the day that finally got to see, you know, light? Well, yeah, the songs are so solid with this unit. We thought, you know, because, like I said, early on, we were thinking of trying to get the two earlier records released, but we, we couldn't really make it materialize. So we said, let's just introduce people to Heretic. And we also recorded Blood Will Tell. Uh, it's off the EP and that's actually going to appear on the box set. So it's going to be a bonus track. So it's this current lineup playing Blood Will Tell from A Time of Crisis. So it's a little bit of a bonus. You'll get to hear this lineup playing an old classic tune. And we're definitely going to record older tunes on, on, on each record. I, I like doing that. It's a 
it uh, gives a modern take on, on the older songs. And uh, we were thinking of, there's a lot of unreleased material on the on the box set, so we're thinking of maybe pulling one of those tunes that never were recorded and, and give our, our, our new take on it. Uh, this is on Master Editor Game. And uh, uh, Let Them Bleed off of Breaking Point is another one we do live, and it always goes over really well. So that one probably will end up on our CD at one point. <laughs> well, that'll be good. I mean, I know you said earlier that there were a whole bunch of unrecorded material. I mean, do you plan on using them for, like, the next uh, studio record with the band, any of those songs? or uh, Unreleased material? No, this is, what it is is uh, older songs from just the live footage, and they, they okay. found the box that what they did was they just lifted the the live um, music and, and used them as an extra track. Okay. So the quality is not the greatest on them, but you get a sense of what the band was back then, and they're real aggressive and great tunes. You know, I listen back and I go, why did we drop this song? <laughs> yeah. Because as a songwriter, I'm always, my newest song is always my best song. So I'm always, you know, well, hey, we got to drop one to add one. And now I look back on some of these songs, and I went, wow, why did that song not, not stay in the set? So it's kind of funny. That's some good stuff. Hey, well, Brian, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I do appreciate you talking to me today. From the vault, Tortured and Broken, out now on Metal Blade Records. Live footage, the two first, the first two or the EP in the album, and a whole bunch of DVD footage. So you can't go wrong as a fan. It's definitely something worth picking up. Yeah, it's only available in Metal Blade Europe right now. And then later in the month, in July, um, it'll be available in the States. And we'll also be able to, we'll be selling it. We're bringing some back from Germany with us. Uh, we'll be able to sell it on our website, and they'll be able to pick it up there if they want. Or it, it should be available in the, uh, Metal Blade in the States at, at the end of July. But for right now, they'd have to order it in, uh, off of Metal Blade Europe. Well, website. that's a fantastic way to get it. And like they said, they can find it from you guys also in a few weeks. So, Brian, the best of luck with the new album. And I'll definitely check you guys out when you get back to the East Coast again. I can't wait to see you. All right, Mike. Thanks Thanks for the airtime, bud. I really appreciate you, it. You too, Brian. Take care, buddy. Okay. All right, you know what? Since we just uh, were talking about the new album, how about we get on a song from Heretic? And then I'm going to play a little Reverend for you. I was going to get that on when we had a little downtime between the phone conversations. But off a time of crisis, here's Betrayed.
reverend with the power of persuasion. Or like Brian said, the heretic <laughs> before they became reverend. But right now, Mr. Ken Pierce of PiercingMetal.com. Kenny, how are you, my friend? Holy Hannah, Mikey, I tell you, I said to you all the time how hot I like my freaking metal, but dude, I did not mean for you to turn up the entire temperature for the whole city of New York, man. Holy, it's brutal. Holy man, it's like listening to metal <laughs> on the sun. It is hot out there this week, man. But, you know, you had a pretty cool weekend being up in the mountains, so well, you oh, can't yeah, complain. You, well, no, it was 98 degrees up there, too, my friend. Damn, climate felt. So, and remind me, I'll tell you something about that that little mountain visit in a minute too. So, uh, when, but let me get to the let me get to the the absolutely happening stuff for the for the week because there's not a lot to really bring up. But uh, currently in progress, you got the Vans Warp Tour down at the PNC Bank Arts Center, and uh, I still think you got time. If you were only heading there to see Black Veil Brides, they are probably coming on within an hour or so. And uh, the bevy of other bands. This thing started at like one o'clock or so in the uh, afternoon today. So I give any of the kids credit for being out in this hot sun today at that event. So there you have it. Brave, braver than us, right, Mike? That is dedication to metal. That is dedication, totally, totally. Tuesday, you got Misery Signals over at the Santos Party House, and they will be bringing with them. Uh, the Color Morale, The Intervals, The Judas Syndrome, and The Kindred, all fine bands, some of them from the area. And remember, like all things at Santos Party House, shows do begin and end early, so be timely should you not want to miss a single note. The band Sanctuary is back from the 90s, and they are redoing some touring and that's the band with uh, World Dane, who uh, formed Nevermore some years after their, the band's original uh, dissolution. But now uh, Nevermore seems to be on a permanent hiatus, and Warrell has reunited uh, almost all of the original guys. So you're going to see this band, and you're not seeing, you know, like a Guns N' Roses with one original guy and 14 other guys. You're seeing, like, uh, I think four out of the five original members of Sanctuary. Wow. And, uh and they'll be having a local band called Apathy opening up in New York City. It's only those two bands, to my knowledge. Uh, got a contest running on the Piercing Metal blog, so please, you know, shameless plug over there. You know, we got a lot of those contests for you. Want to put you readers and listeners into shows for free? Why pay when you can That's go right. on the house, right? Why pay? Uh, Jucifer is a band that is going to play over at the Acheron, and they are a Canadian doom. Doomish metal duo. It's a husband and wife team playing Doom. Now there you go. Look at that, right? Uh, how often do you say that you can't even get the wife to listen to you about the uh, about what you want to go see? And here here here's the wife in the band with the guy. How how cool is that? Nothing okay. against Mrs. Nothing against Mrs. Cheese, of course. You know we, of we course. love her. We love her dearly over here at the Piercing Metal Command Center. Uh, Striper will be bringing the justice of the Lord Jesus Christ to BB King Blues Club. On Saturday with um, the Mighty Mike Tramp opening up, uh, I think doing acoustic stuff. Mm. So um, I, can I say that I'm on the fence about that set then? Cause he's sure can. Come, you know, I, I, well, I'm on the fence about that set then, Mike. Because I loved old White Lion, and uh, I, I really just want to hear that stuff the way it was supposed to be played. Um, you know, tease me about White Lion all you like. No, I'm a big fan too. Don't mind. And something that might be more up your alley, you got the mighty M.O.D. 
and malignancy at St. Vitus Bar that same night on Saturday, uh, 21 and over, because St. Vitus Bar is a <clears throat> bar. It says it in the name. Face the King will be down at the Gramercy Theater, and they are a Gotham Rocks performance show that will bring together Chasing Thrill, Crush of Empires, and She Said Fire. So if you're one of those fans that says, I like supporting local music, well, all of these events by Gotham Rocks must be up your alley. You must go give some love to those kind of shows. Uh, as we mentioned not too long ago, the Backyard Festival at Randall's Island that was to feature Aerosmith and um, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts has been canceled because of the damage to Randall's Island incurred by the Governor's Ball. So, uh, And I said the Governor's Ball, Mikey, not the Governor's Balls. So, you know, the, mayor, the Governor had nothing to Thank you. Just making sure you heard me on it. And, hey, listen, you know, since it's still canceled, the Adler performance that was supposed to be next week, fans who are listening to my voice and still had tickets for that show and might not have uh, gotten their money refunded, maybe swap them for striper tickets or something else that's coming up at B.B. Uh, King's because the venue does have a couple of other shows uh, going on this particular summer, and you do want to make the most of your money and especially not wasting on a show that's not happening. So. And that's all I got about the events listing. But you said, you know, you talked about me going uh, away. And one of the things I did when I went up there is you've heard me talk about this shop called Rock Fantasy. They are a legendary concert shop. <clears throat> they got tons of T-shirts, tons of music. And uh, they not long ago opened up a pinball room, okay? Now, oh, here's nice. why I'm telling you about you. Oh, dude, I'm telling you. You go there and you leave without money. <laughs> um because, uh, well, for all reasons now, you know, not only are you buying T-shirts and you're buying some music, but you're playing about five or six games of pinball, and uh, and that stuff is uh, it's like a buck a game now, man. I, I miss the days when it wow. was a quarter for quarter for five balls. How old am I, right? So okay. anyway, the reason the reason I'm bringing it up on the Metal Mayhem show is because this rock fantasy shop has the Metallica machine. They they have the Kiss machine, they have the Ted Nugent machine, uh, they've got an I think they have two ACDC machines, and there's a Rolling Stones uh, machine too for the classic rock fans in you. In addition to maybe like 15 other superhero and other specialty machines, so that's pretty cool, man. You know, so if you're up in Middletown, uh, for whatever reason, you know, definitely look into the the Rock Fantasy shop, and uh, they're easy to find at RockFantasy.com, and they are on Facebook. So you know, find uh, find them and make a trip, and you definitely will enjoy the uh, the pinball games. I I loved playing the Metallica pinball, but it 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 shut me out like four seconds after I started. It's just like uh, the ball went boom, right down. <laughs> I couldn't even hear more than the first couple of notes that it played. <coughs> oh, don't know why I'm choking now. Must be the considerable heat. Probably, oh, because really, you're in my presence, one or the other. I'm in your presence, and I'm awed by your greatness. <laughs> It's that good that you gave good. the big. It's good that you gave the big T off today. It's too hot for him to be sitting on the couch listening to you. Exactly. He's keeping cool in the pool, so uh, he's enjoying his little mini vacation over there. Good. Let me let you get back to the fun at hand. And as always, my dear friends in listener land, please do come and give Piercing Metal a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and give a find to our Instagram at Piercing Metal NYC. And I will be sure to keep you in the loop with the scoop from the beat from this hot and heavy metal street. See you next week, man. All right. Take care, Kenny. Mr. Kent Pierce from PiercingMetal.com. 
keeping you in touch with everything going on in the New York City area this week. All right, let me see what I could do for you right now. You know what? Let's do our demolition segment because Frank is going to be calling in in about 10 minutes or so. So we've got to get this out of the way. Uh, you know, I always forget how to pronounce the name of this band. I think it's Exista, Exista, Exista. I can't even remember myself right now. But they have a demo out called In Cold Blood. And if you head over to the Heavy Metal Mayhem blog spot, you can download yourself a copy of it. Here's a song called Firestorm.
Lord with Wielding an Iron Fist that comes off the band's first record. You know, I was asked to give a, a top 10 list for a Canadian magazine last month of, you know, my top 10 favorite albums. And that one, Freedom's Rise, is right up there at the very top. Big fan of this band for a very long time. So I was thrilled when I found out they were finally going to get back together again. And Frank is playing drums with them now. And if you don't know any other bands, Frank is playing. He's been a Virgin Steel for a very, very long time, Frank. Now he's got Legion Lord going on. He played with Gothic Knights, Holy Mother, Riot. I mean, countless other bands. And we're going to talk to Frank in just a little bit about all that. And what's been going on with Legion Lord over the last few months since they've got things back together and started playing again. So uh, he should be calling in any minute. Maybe I'll play uh, maybe while we're waiting. The, the Virgin Steel tunes are way too long to play. He'll be calling in before then. Maybe I'll get on a Riot song. Uh, let me see what I could do. Even that's kind of long, so maybe we'll just wait a little bit until uh, Frank calls in and we'll we'll talk to him then. But I want to remind everybody, this Thursday on the Metal Matinee, we're getting on the tour bus and we're heading to the great metal state of Colorado for another wide world of metal editions. So don't forget to tune in for the best in Colorado heavy metal. I dug up a really cool Metal Matinee bootleg to put up there, so uh, you're going to want to get that this Thursday at 12 o'clock. And next weekend... Another amazing show. we got one great drummer, Frank, coming on tonight and another one next week. Carmine Apathy will be on here live with us next week. Carmine's got the brand new King Cobra record out, and he's always a funny guy to talk to. <laughs> I have a good time when I, when I talk with Carmine. So next week, Carmine Apathy with King Cobra, and we're going way back into the new wave of British heavy metal vault. Evo from Warfare will be on here next week. Even though Warfare broke up, I think, in the early 90s, They've just released last year a brand new uh, compilation CD, and uh, Evo's out there trying to promote it a little bit, and I kind of got the first interview with him, and you'll be the first to hear. It's called The New Age of Total Warfare, and uh, you can pick that up right now. It's actually been out for about a year and a half, two years, but they kind of redid the cover and everything else, and it's on South World Records, and they reworked a lot of the old songs. They remastered them, I should say, and they sound, they sound really good. I mean, if you're a fan of Warfare... You know that they were very heavily influenced by the punk scene, and all the earlier music had that really raw sound to it. This album is really polished, and it sounds more metal than the, like that original punk sound, but it's, it's, it's really good, I have to say. So don't forget next week, Evo from Warfare, Carmine Apathy of King Cobra. It's going to be a great show. we got a whole bunch of great guests coming up for the rest of this month. July, it really is just beginning, and like I said, we were supposed to have the guys from The Beast on here, but I kind of filled up all the openings before they could confirm so we'll probably have them on here in August. But at the end of the month, we have Mark and Lorraine from Taste Divine, another classic early 80s metal band. John Doss from Paradox from Chicago, another classic underground band that I was able to dig up. And I can't wait to uh, get those guys on the show. And like I said, Carmine Apathy next week. I know we have a whole bunch of other guests. I'm just not remembering them all right now. Anthony Cross from Seven Witches of Beyond and Greg Goldie from Dio, now Dio Disciples. So July is looking really good for us here at Heavy Metal Mayhem. All right, maybe I will play another song while we wait for Frank. Uh, let me see what I can do here for you now. I want to get something short on so I don't feel bad cutting it off when uh, he does call in. Uh, let me see what I can dig up here. Uh, How about uh, Agent Steel, Taken by Force? That sounds pretty good to me.
said Agent Steel taken by force, but right now our guest is on the line. Frank, how are you, buddy? Hey, Mike, how's it going? How are you? I'm doing great. How's everything going with you? Good, you know, sweating it out like everybody else. You know? Oh, man, it, it's been brutal this week, man. It's been hot out. It's been a week for heavy metal music because this Definitely. week makes me want to crank up the metal. I don't know what it is, but yeah. <laughs> well, well, this is the perfect week to do it. Hey, look, you know, the last hey. time we spoke, you know, Liege Lord were kind of in rehearsals. They were just putting it back together. And since then, you guys have done a couple of shows. You've had things going on. So how's everything working out now over the last few months that you kind of got to play out with each other live a little bit? It was really great. Um, we were really well received. Everybody was really nice and supportive, and um, we were really, really shocked about how nice it was. And everybody really got along, and the band was tight. We really worked hard. We we, we really rehearsed a lot and spent a lot of time on it, and made sure that you know it was going to be worth people's time to come and see. And uh, we really worked hard at it, and it was great. And all the shows were great, and it was just you know. It was just a high that kept getting higher the whole way through. It was incredible, actually. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad to yeah. hear that. And, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, you've been in a lot of bands over the years. I mean, when you join a new band or you hook up with new guys for the first time, especially like guys that kind of already established themselves, like, you know, with the name and a reputation and a sound, is it kind of, do you try extra hard to fit in or do you feel like, hey, you know, they want me to play this because they know who I am and what I sound like, and that's what it is? Well, um, I, um, I kind of do it like probably a mixture of both. It's funny you should bring this up. I was just reading like an article in Modern Drummer. This uh, drummer, I forget the guy's name, but he was talking. He's got a lot of big gigs, and he talked about when you play with people that are established and have a reputation, have already sold a lot of records without you and stuff. You know, you, um, caution is the better part of valor, valor, as they say. You know, you, yeah. you don't want to go in blowing people's doors off and and being too aggressive, they have their thing going on, so you're better off just relaxing and feeling the vibe out and seeing how things work, and then, uh, yeah, because everybody is different, and it's tough sometimes, you know, I do, I work with all kinds of different people, and you have to go in there and, and see what they're all about, I love people, I love all, you know, all different types of people, and I, I can get along with everybody, I get along with the jocks, I get along with the crazy artists, I get along enjoy people of all stripes and colors and creeds and what have you and whatnot and uh it's what makes it you know it's what makes it fun for me you know drumming and stuff and playing in these bands it's, it's all like a social thing in a way you know it's my social life too <laughs> yeah well, I, I understand that completely i mean you're like a people person so in a way i mean it must be good in a way because you know i mean you've made your bones in hard rock and heavy metal but you play everything and you probably love every type of music out there especially as a musician not just a fan so it must be nice in a way where you can kind of step into different bands that have different sounds and different vibes because it probably keeps you a lot more interested in what you're doing and, you know, on your toes because you constantly you have to learn, change, adapt, and bring what you have to the, you know, to that group. Yeah, well, just this past week, it's funny because there was a, a gentleman named Wayne. He works in uh, Sam Ash in Clapbush, Brooklyn. He's a drum teacher and stuff as well. And he came to a Leeds Lord show and introduced himself to me and talk, told me all before the show and was telling me about his teaching practice and whatnot. And lo and behold, I was at Coney Island on 4th of July playing with like a crazy, like, you know, I hate to say it, but a top 40, but a lot of like Latin stuff and different tempo and different ethnic stuff and everything. And he just happened to show up there with his friends and he was like in shock. He was like, oh my God, dude, you sound great with this band too. He was like... Incredible. Yeah. He he texts Trug and it was he was he was in shock. He was like, Wow, you know. But hey, you know, it's all good, you know. 
but yeah, I do like to play with all all kinds of people, and I, I love artists, and I love to you know, I love to dig what their trip is and try to you know add to it. And um, I don't I don't really go in like with an agenda. I'm very adaptable. You yeah. know, there's an old saying: you have to be a um, to be a good leader, you got to be a good follower. And there's certain aspects in my life where I lead, and I know when to lead, and I can lead. There are aspects in my life where I'm a team member and a part of a supporting role. And, um, you know, I'm not there to rewrite the rules, you know, and I'm just there to kind of contribute and use my skills and expertise. And, yeah, and a lot of it is just people skills, you know. A lot of it is. But, yeah, I I always have a great time with most of the bands I play with. I've really rarely had an issue with anybody or anything. It's always been a lot of fun and great memories and great people. And it's just a shame that, you know, we can't all do it all the time. And it's, it's sad to, you know, sometimes to... We can't, but the memories are there, and the friendships are forever. You know. Yeah, that that you, that was a perfect way of saying it, man. You know, with the leader of five, I act like my marriage. I feel the same way. I kind of just follow my wife whenever she says to go and do, so I kind of do it. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just on the other end of the spectrum. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So it kind of works out, but you know. Now with Liege Lord, I mean, I'm sure you guys are going to want to work on some new material, a new record. Is this where you feel like now it's your band, like you're a part of it now because you're with them from, you know, the beginning of the writing process on the new material? Yeah, that's really a whole other exciting part of this whole thing. For me, you know, I was kind of like a guest aboard the mighty Liege Lord ship on the first go-around here, but now I'm actually being able to get into the driver's seat. I have been writing music and uh, working with them. As a matter of fact, I was work- I've been working on a song like like crazy in between everything else I'm doing. Danny's been coming to my house, and we've been tracking a lot, and we have a ton of stuff, actually. And I'm just a madman right now, like staying up to four in the morning in my Pro Tools studio, sticking stuff together and looping stuff and trying different parts and getting out all the kinks out of the studio. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Those guys actually been sending me some songs that they've been working on, and we're going to, like, mesh all of our stuff together. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's going to be a whole other phase of this thing. I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait to hear new music. I mean, now I'm a fan of these guys going way back to, like, their first demos back in the early 80s. And I know you probably concentrate more on the last record that Joe sang on than the earlier stuff, but do you see the fans wanting to hear a little bit of everything, you know, throughout the whole catalog? Oh, there was no doubt about it. I mean, you know, there was no doubt about it. The the earlier, the first two records, you know, held their own just as much as Master Control. From my perspective, you know, I mean, Master Control is a great record. It's a classic. But the other two records were great, too, and classics in their own right. I mean, just a little different or whatever. But, yeah, it was a strong. People love that song, Rage of Angels. They yeah. They love that song. <laughs> And we even went to the we went to the night before to the party just to hang out. We were like guests of the people there, and they were very gracious and nice people. And um, my God, the whole place it was like hundreds of people were singing that song when it came on the jukebox and stuff. And the whole place was singing it. Then when we played it the next night, it was like unbelievable. I couldn't even hear the band. The crowd was singing that song so loud, I couldn't even hear the band. I was like, where are they? <laughs> I hope this crowd doesn't miss a beat. This is going to send me off the stage into a train wreck, you know? Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> and, and back in April, you guys were over and you went to Germany for the Keep It True Festival. You also there was another festival there. But you've been there before with Virgin Steel. And you know what the crowds you know, are like over there and how they, they just clamor and go crazy for the stuff. How was the reaction you know, to seeing Legion Lord after all those years? Oh, it was great. Yeah, the people were 
Yeah, Leeds was really, I got to hand it to them. They really did strike a nerve in the heavy metal community because, as you say, I've been there. I know about that scene, and those people are for real. They're hardcore, and they know their metal, and it's no joke. And um, and they were all over Leeds Lord. They were totally were digging it, and they were so happy that we came. And, yeah, because those people go to those things, and, they, you know, they don't want to hear just the same old bands all the time. They want to hear, like, vintage stuff that's maybe, you know, bands that have broken up and, and bands get back together to play that show, you know, because the heavy metal is a demand for it. They want to hear certain bands and see them live. And, you know, and with that comes the pressure and the expectation because at the same time, you know, you got to deliver. <laughs> so yeah. you can't just walk in there and just with two or three practices after not like being together for a long time and think you're going to like do well. If you, if you stink and you're not tight and you're not laying it down hard and heavy and for real, they won't like you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No matter what you sound, you know, no matter what your album sound like. So it's about the performance as well. But yeah, for certain, Lee's Lord definitely struck a nerve in Europe, and the people were really ha- even the next night. We went up and played a couple of hours north, at just like a, a large club type of thing, and um, it was a really good turnout. And those people were really like, you know, came out in force, and they all had the records and stuff, and. Yeah, everyone had the records and wanted them signed, and um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Really, it was—you'd never know. Lee's Lord had taken a twenty-year hiatus, you know. Yeah. It kind of seemed like they were just, all, you know, <laughs> it really—you couldn't tell, you know. It's funny. It's it's true, you know. Even though, like, you know, heavy metal here, or even hard rock here in the U.S., you know, everything—it's like pop culture. I mean, you know, trends come and go, and everything go, comes and goes with it. Where well, they kind of live it and breathe it over in Europe, but it's like, you know. The metalheads, no matter where you come from, if you're a true metalhead or into hard rock, you you never forget those bands. When they come back, you feel the same way that you did 20 years ago when you went to them back then. You never lose that feeling, and you and you're still there. I mean, I know maybe the support doesn't show a lot of times, like at the live concert scene, especially here in the U.S. I mean, you guys have seen that with Virgin Steel. I mean, you can go to Europe and play in front of thousands of people. You come here, you're lucky you can fill a small club. People just don't come out here for some reason anymore, and you know I don't get it. I don't know why, but it's just the way things are here in the U.S. Yeah, you know, it, it was like that forever, but people didn't really know about it until kind of recent times with the advent of the Internet and stuff. But, you know, I used to go over to Europe and play long be- like before there was all of this Internet stuff and people, you know, before the cell phones and the cameras and all of that jazz. I, I was going over there, and I, I used to come home here, and you know, I used to be like I thought I went to a foreign planet, you know, because I was like, this place is totally different. Everyone's got a different attitude, but... I researched it. I went deeper, you know, and I was like, why? You know, and I got to know a little bit about European culture and stuff. And it's true. Some comedians say that in Europe and stuff, they embrace history. Like, there's a large portion of people there that, like, aren't so quick to just jump on the latest Kelly Clarkson bandwagon. They're like, you know what? Do you pay your dues? Be around a little while. You know what I mean? You know, make more than just a little splash before I get all crazy about you, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's part of the whole culture there, and they like old things. Like in Europe, they like history. In America, we have a saying, your history, she's history, their history, you know? Yeah. I heard a comedian saying that once. We, 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 you know, we're about new and improved, you know? We, but those people over there are like, nah, man, like what you said, that album caught, captured a special magical moment in time, and that can't be erased, you know? That can't be erased. I don't care what you come out with. But, yeah, getting back to what you were saying... <laughs> When I used to go over there, I couldn't believe the scene over there. It was going on forever. People around here just didn't know it. But over there, 
festivals and and you know are a big part of their culture and stuff they they like to gather in large groups and be merry and have a good time and listen to great bands and great music and and get out in the outdoors people over here are sometimes a little wimpy you know i mean those people out there go out in the hardcore outdoors and live it up you know what i mean so those those festivals are like cultural and they go back for thousands of years we don't have that history here that much we we have kind of our modern rock festivals and stuff like that that are like you know mostly for the young people i guess but i guess that's changing with metallica though there's they're kind of i'd have to say metallica is kind of bringing that european thing over here a little bit i mean you know they kind of are they're they're kind of taking what happens in europe and bringing it over here for us so that's good definitely if they can make it work you know more people to do it and you know the problem is like i look at these festivals over in Europe, and you have people literally traveling from all different parts of like Europe to go to Germany or Italy for a festival. Then I'm like, you know, here in New York, like a band say, hey, listen, we're playing out in Queens. You want to come? I'm like, Queens? I'm in Brooklyn. I'm not traveling to Queens. <laughs> like, it's 15 minutes away from the most part. I mean, nobody wants to travel here. That's the problem. I mean, even like when it's in your own little city, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's just, um, like I said, you know, it's, there's not really an explanation other than it's just different traditions and different kind of cultures a little bit you know it was you know it's weird you know it is and but new york is probably in long island and new york area and the metro area here it's probably the toughest area at all for bands to kind of like build up support and stuff and have people come and see them when you get out of this area and stuff i think people are a little bit more open and stuff and are looking for some uh some entertainment and some good bands to watch over here maybe it's too saturated it's crowded. It's congested. I don't know. It's expensive. You know who knows. Uh, it's know? something, but they got to figure it out. But you're frank. Do you think? But it's when like, I like... played here, when I played here with my when I played here with Riot and of course Bird to Steel a couple of times and 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 even you know Holy Mother and everything and with Leeds Lord I was always very happy with the turnout and 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 you know no complaints by me you know I mean if I'm very like I love music I love to perform I love to play with great bands I hope there's a lot of people there because it pays the bills and stuff and keeps the lights yeah. off for everybody but <laughs> but if there's five people there I'm rocking out just as hard so you know it's all about a spirit and just a way of life and you know you know one year there's a lot of people around the next year there's not a lot of people around but you know, the know. next year there might be more people around so who knows you know I know do you think it's like a necessary evil today to have to play and multiple bands like to sustain yourself financially or musically in this business. So, do you think the days of like trying to get that one band together and, and making it big are over? I definitely don't think that. No, you know, I, I don't. I don't call what I'm doing a necessary evil or anything like that. I mean, I just, um, I don't know. I'm just kind of a cooperating person and like music and just enjoy making music with people and stuff. But, um, you know, I. It's not really even my main source of income. I mean, it's a supplementary income, but that's about it, you know. So I'm not doing it for the money or anything like that. But there are a lot of bands that stick together today and make, you know, do really well. And uh, and um, you know, they got the. But yeah, I guess you kind of do have a point though when you stop and think about it. Most guys in bands, except for like the really gigantic ones, are all doing little side projects and different things and little spin-off tours and stuff. I guess you do have to do it, you know. You have to hustle today, especially because they don't. People don't sell any records like they used to. And I heard, I heard about the new Queensrÿche record. How many records it sold? I was in shock. I was yeah. Like, oh my God! It's not them. It's a great record. It's a sign of the times. So bands are out there working and hustling. So 
Yeah, musicians do. You're right. You know, you all right. I mean, I never stop to think about it too often, but you're all you all right. You know, guys got to work in different bands and different projects just to keep hustling and moving. You know, I mean, just like it's you know, the record sales aren't what they used to be at all. Yeah, well, you know, you kind of just said it like the Queens, right? You know, well, you that? just said it. You just said it like with the Queensrÿche record. It's not the band, and you're right. It's not the band that didn't sell a thousand records. A thousand records were sold for money, but ninety nine thousand other copies of that album were downloaded illegally for free on the internet. And unfortunately, this is a business where it's only been how much money can you make me for the record companies, how many albums. But those days are over. There has to be a new way of, uh, you know, it has to be like a new system in place soon because you can't go by record sales anymore because. You know, the same bands are selling a lot of records. I mean, I shouldn't say selling. The, a lot of people are getting those records. They're just not being sold. But the people are getting those albums just illegally. And unfortunately, we judge it by album sales. And I can't take that. You really can't judge a band by that. No, you really can't. But, you know, unfortunately, it's like um, it's like kind of an old stereotype that won't die, you know, or something like yeah. that. You know, because, cause, yeah, that, that's what happens with these things. People used to always just slam up uh, record sales and numbers and you know, but now it's like that that's out the window. You can't really even know what can't even know what anybody sold or anything like that. And it's certainly certainly not a reflection of whether an album is good or not, that's for sure. You know, yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean may, maybe the little kids and stuff when they buy those teeny bopper type of bands, maybe they don't illegally download as much because they're afraid they're gonna get in trouble. I don't know. But maybe that's why those people sell more if they do. I, I don't really know. But, yeah, it's a totally different world now, for sure. But getting back to your original point, yeah, you, you can make a case, you know, that people have to stay a little bit more busy on the road and active in different projects and stuff in order to try to keep things going. Because you can only, you know, run one project so much. You know, you can only – you have there has to be a pullback period. You know, you can't just go on the road forever. Although I know some bands that do. Man, and they travel all over the place. They they'll they'll be on the road, they'll be on the road forever, but they won't get back to these parts for a year and a half. I mean, they'll go to yeah. Greenland, they'll go to Iceland, they'll they'll go everywhere and anywhere, and they're gone forever. But that's a tough life, you know. So you gotta have you gotta like have a pullback period usually in most most bands, you know, most bands, even the giant bands, they have a pullback period, you know, a period yeah. where you kind of just kick back, and it's during those times. You know, with the record sales the way they are and, and the way things are today with the economy, and it's during those times that you might say, hey, you know, normally I might just go to the beach every day, but you know what? I think I'm going to go on the road with these guys and try to make a few extra bucks, but it's also, yeah. it's also something you do for fun. So any any chance to play with a great band and great musicians, it's just an awesome opportunity. You know, it's hard to say no to, you know? I know. You know, it's like, you know, when when you start out and you're a kid and you're a teenager in your early 20s, you know, your priorities and commitments are different than when you turn 40 or 50 and, you know, families evolve now. And, you know, other things, you know, come up in life that just seem to be more important than the things that, you know, were, were important when you were 20 years old. Uh, how do you kind of balance that out now? Like, you know, because when you were 20, it was not to jump in a van, you know, drive around as far as you can, pushing the damn thing half the time, you know, looking for scrap money to put gas in there and play. Today you wouldn't you wouldn't want to do that. So like, is is it hard to balance like what you have to do and what you want to do? Um, yeah, that's that's a good point, and I and I suppose that that's always a, it's always a balancing act, probably for everybody to some degree. But everyone, I'm sure, has got to go through that process. But the thing with me is like, I was pretty responsible even when I was a young wild kid pushing around a van. You know what I mean? 
which yeah. got like you know three three flat tires on whatever. But yeah, I, I was always like kind of like wild and crazy and reckless, of course. Any young kid in the '80s and stuff with the poofy hair and the crazy stuff and the whole scene, but. But I was also always responsible. I worked from an early age. You know, I was work- I had my own little lawn route by the time I was, like, probably 13, 14 years old. I was working as soon as I got my working pages at 16, you know. So I've always been responsible. And, you know, so – but also, like, today, you know, even though, like, there are a lot more grown-up concerns and we're all dealing with it, it's – I also keep that little crazy kid inside of me a little bit, you know. Yeah. I haven't buried him. I haven't forgotten about him. He's not – you know, uh, some people, unfortunately, as they get older and stuff, that person gets, like, kind of squashed out, you know, and um, it's difficult for them to get back there. But I always keep that little twinkle in my eye, and I always keep a little, like, well, little laughter going on, and I don't think things are all that serious, even even grown-up things, you know. I, it's all it's all good, you know. It's all been done before, as they say. <laughs> yeah, that's important. Do you, you remember the first band you played in as a kid that you thought you were going to take over the world? Oh, the first band I thought I would take over the world with, probably, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there was a band that I played with my next-door neighbor called Crystal Beast. Um, we played in the high school and everything, and we played Iron Maiden, and we played, you know, we played heavy-duty stuff, you know, and we were, like, yeah. in junior high school. And we were playing, like, you know, Van Halen, and we were playing Rush, and we were playing Iron Maiden. We were playing heavy stuff, stuff that today's kids, like, struggle and learn to play. Sure. I was, like... Yeah, we were on top of it, you know. Um, so that band was a lot of fun, you know. But I don't know. I never really thought too much about making it big and making it famous or anything like that with music. I always just played music because I liked it, you know. I, I really, that's what's kept me really going. I haven't really expected too much from it. I've just been doing it because I enjoy to do it. I love to do it. I own a business. I built it up. I broke my neck and worked like 24-7 for years to build up a business. And I used that business half the time to support my musical endeavors, to be honest with you. And as I went back to college and studied music in school and financed myself and studied about other great guys, you know, other, like, musicians, and that's not that unusual. You know, you'd be surprised how much things are behind the scenes with musicians and stuff and supporting staffs and whatnot and what have you. But, yeah, I, I you know... I've, I never really, it's helped me not to really be that uptight about trying to be rich and famous, you know. I just like to play, and then when there's a lot of people around enjoying it, oh, it's a great feeling because, you know, you're bringing a lot of happiness and excitement and entertainment to people, and and that's all great, you know. So I guess it's why, like, you know, I don't have to worry about too much of that stuff, you know. Hey, if one day I'm on American Idol and they make me a millionaire, <laughs> God bless them. There you go. Well, yeah, you have the cracking drum school uh, going on. Uh, can people yeah. get in touch with you anywhere to, to you know to come to, to come to the class to learn from you? Yeah, I do. I, I get you know a steady influx of people that contact me that want to like you know take some lessons, and I have a couple of really dedicated students and stuff. And uh, I mean, I wish I could push it a little bit more, but um, you know I'm doing so many things at once, it's tough. But I do have like a steady steady flow of students. I get them from around the world, and I get them locally, and. Um, it's great. I love to teach. I'm really, really, really into teaching, and I really, you know, love the nuts and bolts of drumming and what goes on with it and studying different styles and stuff like that and getting really into it. And um, people really like people really like my approach. I'm good. I'm good at explaining it and um, making it simple and um, good at training you so you can go ahead and do your thing. You know what I mean? So 
giving people the tools they need to effectively train themselves ultimately and go after what they want to go after in music. I've had a lot of students get really good and probably blow me away now. But wow. <laughs> you know, when I met them, they didn't even know how to hold a pair of drumsticks. But I trained them, and they just took to it like nothing and just kept on going and, yeah, absorbed everything I could teach them and went on and studied with other people as well, you know. Do you find the bulk of the kids coming in today to learn how to play the drums really want to learn, like, you know, how to play the drums the right way? Or they're just looking for you to teach them how to play a couple of songs so they can go out and join a band? Or are they really looking to learn the techniques, you know, that come with being a percussionist? Well, when people come to me to take drum lessons, they all have their, you know, needs and interests and stuff like that. But I also have my own philosophy about what I think is important. And what I do is I take where they're coming from. I see what they want to learn and stuff. But I also know what's good for them. I'm like a dietitian of drumming, so to speak, you know. I know that you have to do certain things, even if you don't know what they are right now, that maybe weren't in your plans, in order for you to get successful at what you do want to do. So sometimes you have to take some detours and go down some other alleyways and stuff. You can't just go straight for the thing. Like it would be, you know, if it's someone's a beginner, you know, and they come in and they bring you a dream theater song and say, hey, I want to play this dream theater song, and they never played the drums before, you got to go, oh, Slow down a second. <laughs> We're going to have to work on some other things, and I've seen about five years on that one at least, you know. But, yeah, uh, yeah so, you know, you got to like, you know, I'm the teacher. I'm the expert. I, I, I know what people need to do in order, you know, to become a good drummer. You know, there's hand techniques, there's foot techniques, there's reading, there's exposure to different styles, there's, you know, I give a really healthy diet of different things and come at it from a lot of different angles. And usually everybody, you know, is totally thrilled with it and buys it, you know, buys it hook, line, and sinker. If they don't understand it first and look a little confused after a very short time, they're all like, oh, it all makes complete sense to them. But, yeah, yeah. I think the students of today are as dedicated as ever. They really are. I have some amazingly dedicated students who have come so far, so fast. It's incredible. And they are serious. They're turned on to it. I have, like, people who are, like, classical concert pianists who play, like, in, you know, Carnegie Hall and, like, gigantic halls all around the world. Like, you know, they're classical, like, you know, virtuosos and famous professionals. And they come to me to learn the drums. I'm like, really? And they're like, oh, yeah. And they are into it. <laughs> yeah. They're rocking, man. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's great. Really Did cool. you ever have any anybody that you had to just say, this is a good Because, you know... Some people just aren't rhythmically inclined, if that's a real word. Was anybody that you just kept trying to teach over and over again, they just could not keep a rhythm and say, hey, maybe this is a feel of shredded guitar? No, I've never said that. No, <laughs> you know, you would you would think that might happen along the way, but yeah. no. You know what? Chances are if they signed up for drum lessons and, and, and came to see me and want to do something, chances are, you know, you, you know, a lot of people are already players who come and see me and just want to learn other things and expand what they know and just see my point of view on things or whatever. But but usually even the beginners, they feel it inside them. They're there because they want to play and they do have some kind of rhythm. But, you know, sometimes people are, you know, some people are a little more coordinated than others. So then you have to spend a little bit more time on coordination issues and solve that problem so you can get on to other things. Other people take to the coordination really easy. But they have other issues and stuff. Um, you know, some people might be strong in one area, weak in another. 
But no, I've never had to tell everyone, you know, give it up and play the kazoo or anything like that. No, I never had. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I, never, I don't know what because right. you know what I take it on me. You know, I take it on me. If I have to sit there and make you hold one stick and strike that drum pad until it's done right, I'll make you do it. If you want to quit, that's up to you. But if you want to keep going and learn how to do this right, you know, I'll make yeah. you do it right. I don't care how long it takes. They, that's what's important, you know. You gotta, you know, that they keep doing that. Now, you remember a couple of years ago, you had made a comment about drum machines and drumming with Virgin Steel or something, and it felt like the, the the end of the world was coming for heavy metal after you said that. What the hell was that all about? Because I remember reading that, like, I don't see nothing so bad about that, and I just felt like, you know, you were apologizing for something that didn't really mean anything. Well, you know, I never do interviews for Virgin Steel ever in the entire time. I've been in the band for twenty years. I think I've maybe done like one interview, like maybe like one or two maybe over the course, one every 10 years, a really brief type of thing. So I don't really do interviews. It's very, very well understood between me and everybody in Virgin Steel and, you know, that I don't do interviews for Virgin Steel. And I forget the circumstances of that, but like, it was like a dude I thought I was like just talking with and having a drink with or whatever. And, you know, and I just said something like, you know, it's getting to the point. This was like when like all the triggering and drum machines kind of, went into heavy metal and just blew yeah. it all up, you know. I was like, it's just kind of like, you know, I said, it's kind of weird because you really don't know who's a good drummer anymore, who's a good player. You used to, like, and because of all the machines and stuff like that, and everyone sound, you know, it's just, you can just program it. I mean, sure. I've, I've been I've been replaced myself personally. I've been I've been replaced by heavy metal bands for by dudes who are like, screw this guy. We'll just, like, get a drum program and program all the drums ourselves. Who needs them, you know? Not that I did anything wrong to them, or, but, yeah, I, it's happened to me. So, and they program the drums, and they sound killer, you know? And they ain't even a guy playing it, you know? And to your average person, it sounds like, wow, this guy's rocking. Like, dude, yeah. that ain't even a person. That's just somebody who programmed it. So I was just making a, you know, kind of, I thought it was like a sort of, well, I didn't mean to offend anybody, because some people like, screw you, dude, you know, I was like, I didn't mean to offend anybody, I just said, you know, it's kind of like, it's, and now it's, that was way back then, and now, forget it, that stuff is like huge, you know, I, I mean, um, see, like, I read this article, speaking of like drum magazines, by Ian Pace, the great drummer from uh, Deep Purple, Deep recently. Purple. yeah, and what Ian Pace said, kind of, a lot of times I say things, and then I don't know if I should have said them, and then it's good later on to read something that vindicates what you, what you said the first time. Because he said something that kind of, like, made sense to what I was saying. He was like, you know, the he was like, back in the day, you know, when John Bonham played, Neil per you know, Neil Perk plays, when Keith Moon played, you know, when all of those types of drummers played, you know it was them. You know, they had personalities. Now... All the drummers have, like, blazingly insane technique, but nobody's got a personality. You can't tell one from the other for the most part. That's what Ian Pace said, and that's what I was trying to say. Like, it just it kind of, like, became, like, machined over, you know? It's I know like exactly metal. what you're trying to say, yeah. Yeah, like, it's hard to really tell one person from the other now because it's all, like, machined out to the max, you know? I mean, but but that said, there are drummers today that are doing things that are just, you know, absolutely beyond belief and I couldn't even go anywhere near but you know that was I was just that's all that comment was and then I realized a lot of people just got upset about it you know because like I also brought up the point I did go to see a concert in Europe on a night off from like one of the, a death metal band you know and the con I showed up I went backstage I was like how are you guys doing 
And they were like, not too good. We're canceling the concert. I was like, you're canceling? Oh, man, I was looking forward to seeing it. Why are you canceling? And they said, because the drummer's drum brain went dead. And his, his brain blew up or whatever. You know? And this was like probably in the late 90s. We're talking, we're going way back, you know? Yeah. So I was like, uh, what? I was like, what's a drum brain? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, this thing here, you know, he, if he can't have that on, he can't play. And I was like, and then I went over to the bass pedals and I kind of like tapped them. And they were only like about a, about an inch off the drum head. Like they were rigged, so it would be like almost tapping your finger on your kitchen table. I mean, yeah. they were rigged just just to feather it, so to speak. And I was like, well, why don't you just loosen those things back up and play the songs, you know? But they were like, <laughs> no. I mean, I was like, cancel on a concert's pretty extreme. So it was over a drum brain, but what do I know? I didn't know that much about that music at that time. So, you know, uh, when I was asked about it, <clears throat> You know, I said I think it's kind of a sad state of affairs or something like that to see something like that happen. I didn't mention any names or say anybody in particular. No one in a million years would have known who I was referring to. But, yeah, it kind of like it came out on this blabbermouth thing that, like, eh, Gilchrist slams drummers or use triggers and stuff. And I was like, so I wrote a little retraction saying, I'm not slamming anybody who uses triggers. Don't get the wrong idea. They put them on my drums in the studio from time to time as well. I just was saying that, like, the abuse of insane, like, technology, when it gets to the point of just, you know, they're just sitting there and programming a machine to go, like, bass drums 300 zillion miles an hour and all of this other stuff. And it's, you know, I was just, like, lamenting about, like, and then when people got to cancel shows because they can't actually play the drum, like, we all think they, they're played, you know. We all think someone hit the drum pedal and bangs into the bass drum. But no, some guy's just tickling a little trigger thing, and it sounds like so I was just lamenting over a little bit thing like that. I didn't mean any offense to anybody at all. So I wanted to make it clear because they kind of were like saying I was slamming other people. And I, I wasn't slamming anybody. I didn't say anybody's name and, you know, whatever. So that, I, that's I, what that's I, all I, about. I, I took it the same way, too. I didn't think you were putting anybody down. But, you know, they just love to cause controversy, stuff shit up that way. It, it looks good for some more people go to the website. It's a shame that other people have to pay the price for like this stupidity, but that is the world. Well, we it's today. all it's all good. You know what? It's all good. Yeah. And if it gave people a reason to tell me to go f myself, well, God bless them. I'm glad I did. Who cares? <laughs> you know, way. But but yeah. Since then, you know, I've kind of like every once in a while I do stop in on Blabbermouth to see it. Like not often, but just because that was my introduction to it. Because my friends were like, "Dude, you got to go on this site where they're like saying you set up." I was like, who's saying what? I never even talked to anybody or was interviewed yeah. by anyone about anything. So I went on the site, and I was like, oh, my God, what is this thing, you know? But then, like, later on, <laughs> I started to follow a little bit of the Dream Theater story because I grew up with two of the guys in the band, and I knew Mike for a long time. And when that bit, when that split happened, it, I, it was very emotional for a lot of us, not just them, because we, we were all close back in the day. I started to follow it, and then I was like, my God, the people on that thing are really like vicious, and they're really like this what you call haters. You know what I'm saying? It's oh, like yeah. a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about a lot of people and a lot of bands. And I was like, oh, okay, I see how this works. I remember I got torn up a little bit in this thing for making a like dumb, a pretty innocent comment, but whatever. You know, they they uh, yeah, they're like really like you know, torching everybody and like calling everybody losers and you know, telling yeah, everybody. Yeah, it's a vicious place. Yeah, they're kind of like, screw you, you dumb loser, go back to your lonely life. You miss I'm like, you're talking about like some great you know, great musicians, and, and I was a little bit like, wow. 
people are pretty hardcore on that thing, you know. Yeah. See, you know, when I talk publicly, bands. when I usually talk publicly about someone specific, a band, a person, a human being, or whatever, you know, I, I tend to look at the bright side. You know, I tend to, if I'm talking in public about somebody specific, not talking about technology or talking about automation, or I'm talking about another human being. You know, I tend to mend my words a little bit. You know, and even if I don't particularly like them or whatever, I tend to find the good side in people when I'm when I'm talking in public, you know, that's how I was brought up. Be polite sure. and be a gentleman or, or keep your mouth shut, you know. No one wants to hear your venom, you know. But when I went on that thing, I was like, oh, my God, this yeah. is vicious. That's the problem today is that, you know, the Internet and social media, it gives everybody in the world a voice. Everybody's a keyboard warrior. Everybody has, you know, the ability to say anything. All the inside thoughts that used to be in your head that you kept to yourself now have an opportunity to come out. And, I mean, you really got to have a thick skin, I mean, sometimes to deal with some of the comments that people can make about you or your bands or anybody in general. And it's just crazy, the stuff that's going on out there. It's, it's, it's actually amazing when you look at it. Yeah, it, it was weird because when I first kind of broke into the music business and started traveling and doing records and stuff like that, it was before all of that stuff took off. And, and then all of that stuff took off, and that kind of changed everything. And it's weird. I'm like probably the last generation just the last wave right before all of that internet and all of the rest of the social media kicked in i was i was on the last wave i, I often think of a wave hitting the beach and rolling up i was on that last wave <laughs> before everything changed so i know what it was like beforehand and it, you know it's great that you can you know dial up the internet and look up you know what's the size of an elephant's foot and, and a giraffe's tail in <laughs> africa anytime you want all of that you know but i do kind of miss the old days when things were a little more, you know, private and things were a little bit more special and people weren't, didn't have just a place to mouth off all the time and do a lot of, I guess there's a lot of good stuff that comes to it too. I checked my email, you know, it took me a few years to get into that, but, you know, I got a website now, you know, it took me like whatever, 20 years to get one, but I finally got one. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting with the program. There you go. You'll get right into you it. You just got to watch it, it now because, yeah, you just got to watch it, because I did find out the hard way about cell phones with cameras. You know, people were bringing them backstage and stuff when I was you know, in pretty high spirits after some shows and some pretty <laughs> questionable videos and pictures started popping up all over the place. And I was like, holy to I was like, I thought all those people were talking on the phone. Nah, dude, they were taking the picture. Oh, my God, that's a camera, too? Holy yeah. shit. Uh, it's too much. Hey, listen, Frank, I only got like one minute left in the show, so I got to let you go. But, I mean, I, New Resort, you're working on it. Anything happening with Virgin Steel this year? Anything else going on? Yeah, well, with Virgin Steel, um, there's just a lot of writing and organizing. Virgin Steel is in, like, what I was saying to you before about one of those, like, little pullback periods. Rolling back the tents a little bit, regrouping. There's a ton of material that Dave has been writing. I've been going over his house, hanging out, having drinks, listening. He's been sending me some stuff, and it's all coming together. So that's that's percolating as always, you know. And Leeds Lord is is you know starting to write. Um, right now, Joe's pretty busy. He does another band as well, and he's kind of touring a lot and stuff. So he's kind of got his hands a little full. But the rest of us behind the scenes are writing and communicating and sending stuff back and forth, and we're getting together and working on ideas, and we're going to keep plugging away and get this thing done sooner than you think. And well, you know, I'll be coming back to you when this new record comes out and uh, hey, please giving you a first copy of it. Trust me. Uh, I can't wait for that. Hopefully, you like it. 
And the next time you're going out to David's house to work on some music, yeah, give me a call. I'll meet you there, and I'll bring the sangria. All right. You got it. <laughs> All right, Frank. You got it, Mike. You take Glenn. care, Frank. Great talking to you again. You too, take man. Care. Thanks again, Mike. All the best. Bye-bye. You too, Frank. Frank Gilchrist from Legion Riot and so many other bands, an amazing drummer, great guy. Love talking to him, man. You know what? When he has something new coming out, we will get that on. There's less than a minute left in the show, so I really don't have time to play a song with Frank on it during the live show. But I'm going to get on one of his tunes, and uh, anybody playing the podcast back after the show or downloading it from iTunes, you get to hear something with Frank on there. Because Lee's Lord tune was an old tune and didn't have Frank. So here's a song off the Army of One record with Riot. A great band. It's a shame that Mark, you know, passed away. We're missing a lot of great music with him not here. Frank plays the drums on this album. Like I said, here's Blinded. I want to thank my guest tonight, Brian and Frank, for calling in and talking with me. I'll see you guys Thursday on the Metal Matinee for the United States of Metal, Colorado. Take care, everybody. I know it's going to be a hot one this weekend in the New York area, so do the best you can to stay through. And I'll see you next Sunday night. Take care.
worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.